The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Two Millennials One Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Gable, and today I am joined by... Me, Anna Grace. Anna Grace is back, filling in for Abby, who apparently is barfing this morning, so we got a healthy person in the studio. Yeah. Today, we're talking about mathematics, and before you turn this off, it is going to (laughs) be a grand talk. Before we get started, though, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to this show. If you haven't subscribed on an actual application and you're just logging onto your desktop computer and typing in Two Millennials One Podcast into Google and trying to find us, that is so 03. Please. That's embarrassing. It is. If you have an iPhone, get Apple Podcasts. It's already on there, actually. Just search us, subscribe. There's CastBox if you're on Android. There's Google Play. There are a thousand ways to subscribe to this show. Please subscribe. Please keep listening and share it with your friends. Yeah. As I stated, we're talking about mathematics, and this is a millennial show, so let's talk about millennials and mathematics. And to sum this up in several words, millennials are awful at mathematics. Woohoo! Represent! Absolutely. So, the ETS Corporation, who creates and administers tests, are you familiar with ETS? Don't they do GRE and stuff? They, I think they do GRE yeah. and Praxis and that kind of yeah. thing. Obviously, they have all the data. They looked at a study, or they did a study in 2015, and it ranked Americans dead last out of all of the industrialized countries in math ability, which is sad and shameful. It even went further to say that even the educated millennials in America, those with a master's degree, for instance, ranked below people with degrees from other countries. So even our top high flyers that are going on to these post-secondary degrees can't do math. And it also looked at things like literacy, practical math, and problem solving and technology rich environments. And we were almost last in all of those categories. So as a math teacher, I see this. Granted, we're kind of out of the millennial generation, but even going through high school, and I'm sure you saw this as well, it's accurate. No one is truly that great at math anymore. I would agree with that. And it may not even be an anymore thing. It's just becoming more apparent. There's a lot of attitudes that aren't great or productive or facilitating to learning math. I mean, how many times have you encountered someone that says, I hate math or I'm bad at math or I'm never good at math? That's so pervasive in our culture. Exactly. And so I've been reading this book, which I'm going to be referencing a lot as I do in normal conversation. If you see me about right now, it's called Mathematical Mindsets, and it's kind of for teachers about teaching math kind of springboarding off the idea of growth mindset, if you're at all familiar with that. But one of the things it references is that people are really comfortable saying they're bad at math in a way that we aren't about other things. And that definitely uh, references that mindset you're talking about of, you know, even teachers sometimes will say, I'm, oh, I'm bad. I'm just not very good at math. You know, we don't usually say that about, say, reading. Like, it doesn't come up in casual conversations. Someone's saying, oh, I'm not very good at reading. Generally, maybe you don't like reading, but just kind of, almost the idea of not being good at math is kind of kind of cool. Nobody's good at math. It's all all together. So yeah, I think there's a unique mindset about math in that regard. And another thing it brought up was that people have more of a fixed mindset about math in general, that they think it's a skill that you're either good or you're bad at. And we can talk about more later some of those reasons why people do think that. That fear of mathematics, that is almost generational at this point as well. That is something you can feed your child. 
as a, a teacher during parent teacher conferences, if I had a dollar for every time a parent came in and said, Oh, they're not good at math because I'm not good at math or I can't help them. Their dad can't help them anymore. If we're going to fix this and we're going to get into like how to fix this, but if we're going to fix that specifically, we've got to stop doing that to our children. And you even hit on it with teachers. There are teachers at elementary schools and middle schools across the country that maybe they're teaching science or social studies or just a general ed teacher. And they will admit to their students that, Hey, I'm bad at math as well. That shouldn't be said, even if they are bad at math. Right. That idea shouldn't be out there, that it floats and it, it breeds. And now that kid, no matter how proficient at math they could be, they already are at a disadvantage. They think, nope, I'm never going to get this. And they, they don't try or they just feel like they can't. Right. And one thing in this book that was really kind of troubling to me, I teach second grade, if you don't know this already, says math anxiety has been recorded in kids as young as five. So that's a kindergartner. So that means when kindergartners are starting school, they're already either probably have a fixed mindset that they're not going to be good at math. They're afraid of math, which is really a bummer because math can be really fun. That haunts me. If math anxiety is being identified as early as kindergarten, kindergarten math is you're learning real numbers. You're learning the number line. You're getting that number sense of like, oh, four is more than three. If you're already afraid of math or don't think you can do it at that point, what are you going to do? Like, how's that going to turn out for you in your 13-year journey through public education and mathematics? It's going to turn out bad. That would be my guess. And that's probably why we're seeing the results (laughs) we are with underperforming the rest of the world in math ability. And I think these reports get ignored a lot of times. I think when people hear this, they're like, oh, that was probably some advanced mathematical test. That's not the case. These tests are about practical applications. And they're like, here are two pairs of shoes and they're doing a 50% off coupon. Which shoes would you pick to get the best deal? That type of thing. And we're massively failing or how to pick out the right amount of carpet or how to design a garden. And you'll hear all the time, when am I ever going to need this? I mean, those are the situations where you actually are using math, whether you realize it or not. And we just cannot perform at that level at this point. I remember asking that in my high school math class, when am I going to use this? But math is just a way of thinking. The way we use math is so often not ways we think about like picking a job thinking okay I can look at how many hours I'm going to work and how much I'm going to get paid or whether the salary is worth it with these benefits those are really important things a lot of us kind of understanding number sense and fractions and percentages and rates and that's all really important things to know and understand most definitely once I read those studies about how poorly we're doing in mathematics the millennial generation and subsequently the generation Z I immediately said why why is this happening and it brought up some interesting points The first one I found was the intense focus specifically in high school and middle school on things like algebra, geometry. I read the quote, it's a single file death march to calculus. And for the most part, that's true. And I don't mean to talk ill of those classes. That's my livelihood. That's what feeds me is teaching those classes. But for the vast majority of the population, they aren't going to need necessarily algebra or geometry or calculus or trigonometry. They don't need those classes. So what we do is we force them through the system and they're not truly developing the lower skills that they may need. And then they're flailing in these other classes and they go take these exams. And that's part of the reason why we're so far behind. What was your experience in high school math? What, what did you do? I... See, again, there we go. I have trouble remembering, part one. Uh, Algebra, uh, I think I ended on calc or pre-calc, some sort of dual credit class that I don't really remember anything of because it was first hour and I was a teenager. So even though you don't remember it, it was clearly a pre-calc or calc, do you find yourself using that in your day-to-day life at this point? 
I do not. And I get it. I'm the one that has to defend these classes as far as kid gets to calculus after they've been whipped all the way through and they're like, legitimately, when am I going to need this? And I can't give them an answer. You're probably not. I will always go back to what you said previously. These classes aren't teaching you math specifically. It's teaching you problem solving and how to work out patterns and recognition and that type of thing. But for the most part, the normal human in the United States, millennial or not, is not going to need calculus for their job. Right. It's the death march to calculus. You have to get there. Okay, I have a couple facts. Again, this book is great. If you're interested at all in it, let me know. This book kind of talks about math as a four-step process. You have a problem in the real world, step one. Step two, you bake it into a mathematical model. That's step two. Step three, you calculate it, which is what we spend the vast amount of our classes learning. And then step four is you bring it back to the real world application. And what they talk about and what, you know, you see in every article you read about technology and jobs being automated is that calculation, there's less and less need for that. But that mathematical thinking, that ability to ask a question, build a model, do the calculation, bring it back. That's what we need, and that's what we're really struggling with. And that's, I mean, you could argue, I feel like that's almost a lower-level math skill. It's like you said, it's figuring out how much carpet you need. And those are the kind of skills you're learning in middle school, late elementary. No doubt. No doubt. So uh, this list, again, from this awesome book, it talks about the Fortune 500 most valued skills in 1970 compared with 1999. So even this is pretty dated. Back in 1970, computational skills was a number two valued skill. In 1999, again, this is still already kind of old, it was the 12th out of the 13 listed skills. So that's a huge shift. And 1999 skills, teamwork, problem solving. Problem solving is what took that second place spot, which makes sense with the idea of technology being incorporated. And that's where we're really failing. That echoes everything I'm personally going through in my professional journey right now. We're trying to open up some new classes at the high school dealing with innovation because we understand we are sending kids out into the workforce and in the world and into college that just are not prepared. And that is not how public school should work. And what you're saying to me right now is just driving home the point that we need to get students better at problem solving, critical thinking, and recognizing patterns because because there are reputable people right now that are saying by the year 2020, most conventional jobs just will not be there. Something like 50% of people will either have a freelance job or consulting job because there just won't be these technical jobs that we've relied on for so long. And that's why it's super important that students are able to do. Even in 1999, we were realizing that. But what is the education system doing right now about it? Nothing. Sit in your class, learn this algorithm of how to solve for X, and then good luck. That's what right. we're doing, and it's it's not sustainable, and that's why we're seeing these terrible test scores, and that's why kids are unhappy, and that leads to a huge other economic and mental health issue. That it's all tied together. Yeah, we need to do something different about it for sure. Right, and so since we're touching on that, let's talk about some of the things that aren't working in some kind of traditional school things. One thing that in here it talked a lot about is time tests and the idea of math speed and math fluency, which... I will say I was usually pretty fast at math and probably part of the reason I felt like I was good at math, but this is a huge misconception probably leading to a lot of that math anxiety with kids. If they're slow with numbers, they feel like they're not good at math. But number sense is better than just having rote memorization of facts. And I think that's kind of mirrors the whole problem with a lot of the educational approach to math right now. A lot of it is memorization or this is how this goes. I'm going to teach you how we do this and you're going to copy me and we're going to do it 54 more times until you can do it. I mean, that's that computational skills that aren't as valued anymore. And we need to look at the problem solving aspect. Instead of memorizing that 6 plus 5 is 11, uh, you know, teaching kids that 
oh, if I take the one away from that five, I can see that's a make 10 fact and six plus four equals 10. And then I know that makes 11. It may take longer, but it's a better fundamental understanding of math and more problem solving and showing kids that there's not just one correct way to do a math problem, I think is also a huge thing. What you described there, what that allows for is transfer. And that is something else that we're super bad at is we can learn a specific problem, but then when we go try to apply it, and it may look completely different. It may be talking about bales of hay, but it's the same problem, but you would never recognize it because we're trained in that one setting where you described earlier that other algorithm where you try to relate it to things you already know and you build that is so much better as far as retaining that information. And as I read these reasons why we're so bad at math, you hit on the two of them just then the lack of number sense specifically and this idea of memorizing facts and all that. Those are the exact reasons. And when I read that as a math teacher, I immediately feel guilty because I am doing that in the classroom, whether I want it or not. And the reason I'm doing it is because at the end of the year, there is a test. And if my students don't pass that test, everyone's in trouble. And that's the reason I continue to do this behavior, even though I know it's wrong. I would love to throw caution to the wind and be like, you know what? I'm going to take this year. I'm going to teach kids what a derivative means. Truly, we're going to get our hands dirty and we're going to know exactly what that means. But if that takes a month, then I've missed out on a couple chapters and my kids are going to bomb the exam. That worries me. So that is an easy fit. Well, not an easy fix, but that's a fix there. We need to reduce our dependence on standardized tests. All that does is make a breeding ground for cramming and dumping information and the odds of that being retained. It's not good. And that's why you can pass the AP Calc exam. And then I hear that you're back in calculus a second time because you don't remember anything. It's not sustainable. It's not a good model. And then you hit again on number sense with your little extra algorithm or the way to actually see it. And that goes the same even at a higher level. There are kids that struggle with the problem 19 times nine when I'm sure you and I as well, I don't think of 19 times nine. I think of 20 times nine and then I just subtract nine. No one can do that anymore. And I'm talking generation Z, but I'm sure our millennial peers are like that. No one thinks in those terms. No one specifically taught me that. I'm pretty sure I figured that out on my own, but that is what should be taught. You can take that and apply it to 64 times 11 and all other types of crazy calculations that you may need in practice where you're like, oh, my calculator's in my pocket. Maybe whipping it out takes too long. Maybe you should just be able to do that. We've got to switch our instruction over to those type of things and abolish most standardized tests. Right. Ideal, ideal world. Because as we've kind of discussed, standardized tests aren't covering that real world application of math like these kids are going to need. It's not as much problem solving, but that's a whole other podcast is the problem with standardized testing. Absolutely. I'm excited to have Anna Grace here today because as she said, she is a second grade teacher and in the district that we work in, we made a big decision, I guess, last year to finally find a new curriculum. We were using Saxon and this is probably boring anyone that doesn't give a crap about math, but we were using this system called Saxon and we decided to switch to one called Bridges and my co-host today is very excited about Bridges. What makes that curriculum better, in your opinion, than more traditional math programs? A lot of the things we've been talking about, and I, again, have only seen at the second grade level where skills are, quote, simpler, but very much that four-step math problem. The kids are asked a problem. We've taught them different strategies to use, whether it's drawing pictures, jumping on a number line, things that truly go with the idea of number sense, not, okay, this is how you do double-digit addition. You carry the 10, but you don't really get what you're doing. There's a lot more using manipulatives, very hands-on. And the big thing that I love is there's a problem. They try their different ways of solving it. 
people talk about it. The kids come share their ideas, whether it's a mistake, whether it's right, they have a chance to talk about and do those math talks, do that problem solving. And my favorite part is the kids really seem to love math. They feel like they're solving problems. They feel like they're really getting it because they're solving their own problems, making their own meetings instead of me just saying, this is how you do it. Follow along. And I'm, I'm really excited about it, as you know very well. I'm excited about it too, honestly. I know that'll be years before I see any benefit to that in my students, but I'm positive. I think if it's implemented cohesively throughout the district, I think what you described is exactly what we need. From what I garnered from what you were saying there, it sounds like failure is maybe built in or it allows for that. I hope that's the case because that's something else that just students get to us and our generations that way as well as we're scared to fail and traditional math classes don't allow for that discovery or just that you, you learn from failing. We don't have that. It's either you know it or you don't. If you don't, best of luck to you, kid. Right. This book, it's a totally interesting way of looking at math. Hard for us Truman types, in quote, to accept. One thing it talked about is, you know, obviously we learn from our mistakes. And if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. And the one really mind-boggling thing, it's like, if you're a parent and your kid's learning math and they bring home a 100% on a test, you say, oh man, I'm so bummed you didn't get to learn, which... Of course, <laughs> just made me real anxious. But if I had that mindset approaching math, I'd probably be better at it, probably have a better mindset. And it just talks a lot about how your brain really needs to make mistakes to learn and to uh, make those connections and grow. Also, just accept giving kids more challenging math. This is what I saw with the program. The kids would be given challenging problems, but they would have the resources to solve them and just reminding them, hey, this may be a three digit plus three digit addition problem, but it's the same process. Just get out your hundreds tiles and your tens tiles and your ones tiles. It's the same as, you know, adding 12 plus 12 or anything else. You have those systems, that number sense, and it makes even bigger math very doable, which is cool. That is cool. That is music to my ears. I, I Like I said, I'm really excited for that to work its way up. Do you feel with your math education that you were let down do you feel that you were able to obtain the appropriate skills to succeed as far as problem solving and critical thinking in your setting? Or was that something that you had to figure out on your own? I'm really fortunate. One of my favorite teachers was my high school math teacher. And while, you know, I'm sure she was battling that same, I have to teach to tests to some extent. She did a great job. I remember, I think it was my freshman year, we had to balance and keep a checkbook for a month. So she really did a great job of tying in some of those skills and problem solving. And she loved math and very much had a very positive, we can all love and do math. So I feel like because of the teacher, no. Which is a shout out to America's teachers who are awesome and work with not ideal curriculums to still make kids not feel like they're shorted out. Sure, and at no point during my row session on the American <laughs> math system did I mean to throw shade at teachers. I mean, I'd be throwing shade at myself, which is probably deserved, but we're doing the best we can for the most part. Arguably, our hands are tied behind our back most of the time uh, with some of the things we have to go through and jump through, but there are, like you said, good teachers out there that know what needs to happen and are pushing the, the envelope and trying to make things innovative and hands-on and getting kids to understand the value of math and not afraid of it in kindergarten. Right. You got any final words on mathematics? Uh, I do. I found a uh, note from this book to end us on a positive note. So uh, again, growth mindset is another hugely important thing that we could spend another like three episodes on. Just the idea and the understanding that your intelligence is not fixed. All these things can grow with work and just giving kids this mindset makes a huge difference in their abilities. And the idea kind of we've touched on failure is a chance to learn. But it talks about how when this woman was doing kind of a test, she told kids, you know, your math 
growth is not fixed. You can learn more and just it made a huge difference and it was just a three week long course or whatever they did. So she kind of talked about how if we have positive messages from our teachers about ability to do math, it would just make a huge, huge difference for kids. So something to remember as a teacher, as a parent, as an aunt or uncle, anyone who talks to kids about math is stay positive. You know, remind them that speed is not important because that's something that unfortunately a lot of times is reinforced to them and just really trying to write the math ship here and be positive about math because it can be really fun and it is really important. Very nice. Can you tell us the name of the book and the author one more time? Did you mention that at all during the show? Uh, I think at the beginning. Very nice. It's called Mathematical Mindsets by Joe Bowler and it's really great. If you also just want me to repeat all of the main points, just hang out with me because I'll do it whether you want me to or not. I'll vouch for that. I know a lot about that (laughs) book and I haven't even picked it up. All right. It's time for the song pick of the week. Putting you on the spot here. Anna Grace, do you have any bops or jams that you can share with our listeners for this week? Can you go first? I always forget about this. Absolutely. My song pick of the week is super embarrassing, but I have not stopped playing it for quite some time. It is that darn song called Work From Home by Fifth Harmony. Oh, which is classic. It's such a bop. It's like a cringy thing for a late 20s male to be listening to, but it's a good tune. It is a good tune. I've been listening to Babe by Taylor Swift and Sugarland. I know you're a Taylor Swift fan. Absolutely. And uh, yesterday in the weight room, we watched the uh, music video. It's a really fun music video. Kind of clever. Taylor Swift is the uh, the bad girl. So kind of playing into her subversion of all her stereotypes. So it's fun. It's I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Well, thanks for checking us out this week, folks. Thanks to Anna Grace for filling in as co-host. Another deep and educational <laughs> message from her. That's what you can count on when she joins the podcast. It's always a good time. Well, thanks for having me, Abby. We hope you get feeling better. Absolutely. Get well, Abby. Please check us out next week for another enthralling episode of Two Millennials One Podcast. Have a great week, folks. <laughs>